This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. This is take two of our reunion <laughs> show. <laughs> we already messed up. <laughs> we, we made it for the, like the first five minutes and then realized that we had something on the wrong setting for the mic and it's not fixable. So we had to start over again. Yeah, especially since I'm the quiet one and it yeah. was set to where you can't hear me. Yeah. Anyway, welcome back to Pizza and Parsecs after our long awaited hiatus. Or, I guess, reunion. I'm going to try that again. I forgot how to do this, apparently, too. (laughs) I don't know what I'm doing. After our break, we are excited to be back and talking with you folks today. I'm Dave. I'm Liv. Before we dive into the matter at hand, something that we're clearly both somewhat passionate about. Liv, we've been gone for a minute now. What have you been up to? A lot. I had three shows in a span of four weeks. Um, I teach at a theater company for the academy portion of it with kids. And I started that at the beginning of this year, which was super fun. They had to not finish their production of Beauty and the Beast. And then they hired me on to assist the choreographer. Um, but events took place, things happened, and then I became the head choreographer. Everyone's okay. It just things happen. And so then I also had to fill in for a couple of roles, non-speaking, non-singing roles, only dancing roles, because that's all I can do. I'm not a uh, trifecta performer. I can't do all three. Triple threat. Yeah, I'm, I'm not one of those. So. Yeah, you are. Mm, I can't sing. I didn't say you were that kind of triple threat. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so I had to do that. And that was the same week as Perfectus's first full-length show that I choreographed and put together, which was Super fun and wonderful. And then I had the Nutcracker three-ish weeks after that. So you can say I was kind of busy. It's a smidge. What about you? What have you been up to? Well, recovering from a long year of work, pretty much. Yes. Yeah. We've had a really we, busy one. It's been very, very busy. One of the, I mean, one of the, that, that was basically one of the chief reasons why we took a break to begin with was that both of us were really busy with work. You just went through all of the things that you were up to on your end. For me, if any of you work in a corporate environment and know what implementing an ERP is, that's what I've been doing this year. And we had a go live date in August and I just needed a break from all the things after that. And it's been a very refreshing break. Been able to just generally recover from that yeah. and try to get some semblance of a normal work-life balance again. Uh, built a new PC, which was a lot of fun. And still running, working out, playing a lot more Counter-Strike recently. Did some streaming on that for a minute there. Might get back into that soon, depending on how how much time, extra time that I have. I'm trying to 2021, I'm trying to do, focus more on quality of life. I th- Or sorry, 2022. I was about to say, 2021 only has like a week left. <laughs> I am I want to redo of 2021, actually. Um, yes and no. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I could see that. You know, still some lockdowns, still some craziness. Yes. I hear the meme uh, 2022 is looked at as 2022, T-O-O, like as yeah. an off also. I could see that for sure. It it looks that way, unfortunately. It's the sequel. Great. 
Wonderful. Uh, we have been playing a new video game, and That's I might true. start streaming that. Um, one of the- what game, Liv? Icarus. Icarus. Tell me yeah. about it. Icarus is Animal Crossing, but for adults. <laughs> I don't know how other way. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, Animal Crossing is definitely for adults because I play it. No, Icarus is a survival game that you found, and you were like, "Hey, I think we should play this." And you go on missions on this planet called Icarus, and it's really, really cool. Um, we've been putting a lot of hours into that together. Mm-hmm. It's some great quality time. You got me a new gaming laptop, which is super awesome, um, that I can also do edits and stuff for like work, and I can do things like for podcasting, and I can do a lot more on a laptop than my iPad. So I've been playing a lot of that. I've been playing Gris, which came out recently, I think, which is also super fun. I thought about streaming that, but maybe I'll play through once so I, I don't like cry. That- yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like Gris is, is something that will be deeply personal. Yeah, I read a few reviews without spoilers, and I was like, oh, no, here, here we go. What did you get me into? Because you got me that game. Yes, I got myself that game, too. Yeah, you I'm surprised me one morning with, with it. Oh, my gosh. Not only the artwork, because I've played about maybe a third of the way so far. Mm-hmm. Um the music behind it is just captivating. I played it for two nights. The first night, I would just sit there and kind of look at the scenery and look at what was going on and just listen to the music. And I'm obsessed with it. It's just absolutely beautiful. I want a screenshot of one of the scenes and put it as the desktop screen, whatever you call it, Yeah. on a laptop. I've heard the entire game is just filled with that. Like, you pause it at any point. You could take a screen capture of it and make it your desktop yep, background. It's, it's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. I do not play Counter-Strike. No, you do not. (laughs) I would die every five seconds. Go Navi. (laughs) (laughs) I've been watching them with you sometimes before I fall asleep. Yeah, there's been a lot of competitions that I've had fun watching. It's the closest to watching sports that I pretty much get. Yeah. Aside from, you know, watching pro marathons. Right. Yeah. What else? I don't think there's very much else. We've just been really busy with work. Can prep for Christmas. We put up lights again. We did. The Christmas tree is up. All the nutcrackers are out this year. She has a collection of like no less than a thousand nutcrackers. Okay, no. There's like maybe maybe 25 or 30. Thousand. Yeah. I get one every year. My parents give me a nutcracker every single year. I love nutcrackers. My mom collects Santas. I collect nutcrackers. Our house is plagued with nutcrackers. Please send help. They're beautiful. They're all different too. You can't deny they are gorgeous. Yeah, I can. I don't like nutcrackers the way you do. I'm sorry. I can, I can definitely disagree with you there, but to each their own. Yeah. And I'm glad that you have something that you enjoy. Well, thank you. And I only put them up for a month and then they come down. You only have to deal with them for 31 days, depending. We didn't put our Christmas stuff up till December. That's right. It was early December when we actually decided to do that. Yeah, we waited because we went out of town for Thanksgiving with your parents, Yep, which was super fun. And then we came back. We took a little bit of a break um, before we had to go back to work because that was the week leading up to Nutcracker. And we waited till after Nutcracker to put all of our Christmas stuff up. Zip. I forget how hot it gets. (laughs) That's right. You play Counter-Strike with your door open. I do. Gets hot in here. Well, should we talk about the topic at hand? Uh, sure. Let's talk Sonic 2. No, this is our resurrection episode, so we have to go into Matrix Resurrection. Before we do, 
Quick shout out to WST, our Galactic Public Access. Make sure you check out episode 185, where we guested with them over there. I can't believe you still have that memorized. Of course I do. Oh, man. And, of course, check out our catalog of Matrix episodes that uh, that we recorded last fall. About this time last year. Yeah, we did yeah. a whole thing about this time last year. It was really fun. We had a lot of fun guests on. Yes, we did. We had Cam. Cam. We had Force, Force of, of Light. Light. And we had a lot of fun guest speakers as well. We did, and it was yes. super, super Con- fun. Contributors. So before you listen to this episode, if you have not listened to those episodes, go listen to them because I feel like there's going to be a lot of referencing to some of the things that are in the trilogy. Also, if you haven't seen like the trilogy, what are you doing with your life? Like, how did you end up on our page? How did you end up on this podcast? Let's be real. Also, uh, if you haven't seen Resurrection, wait. Don't listen to this podcast because I cannot guarantee I'm going to be spoiler free. This is not a spoiler free review. Wait, hold on. Here's our spoiler free review. Did you like it? Yes. (laughs) I liked it too. (laughs) We've both watched it twice now. In, in two days. Yes, in two days. That is the end of our spoiler-free review. <laughs> <laughs> Either fast forward or go watch it. It's on HBO Max. Come on, everybody's got that now. Uh, okay, uh, one more spoiler-free thing. This is a movie that warrants going to the theater for. I agree 100%. I'm really glad we saw it in the theaters first. Yes. Yes. And I am going. I do want to talk about that because the movie literally started and I was crying. Mm-hmm. But that's a whole thing that i'm gonna go into so go see it in the theaters end of spoiler free review now into spoilers okay Liv, why do you think people should see this in theaters um the experience like the full body experience that you get with seeing it in the theaters is just you can't compare it to anything else when the opening credits started and the warner brothers signal or symbol or whatever it's called turned green i immediately started tearing up because I never saw any Matrix movies in the theater. I was too young. I couldn't actually do that. And when my parents let us start watching it, they would fast forward the scenes. So I never got to see it in the theaters. And for the first time, like, I got to see this movie in its full, like, fullness. Yeah. 10, 11, 12, 13-year-old me who watched these movies for the first time was, like, so giddy because... I could only imagine what it's like to see the first three in the theaters. So that's one. Two, sound, amazing, beautiful, uh, visually beautiful. And our TV is fantastic. Like we have a really nice TV set up. We have a nice sound system set up. But there was just something about theater. It made me want to get a bigger TV. Oh, really? Yeah, I was watching it and I was like, this is so puny. (laughs) (laughs) That's because we literally (laughs) saw it yesterday in the theaters. Like you felt like you were in the screen, which I guess is appropriate for a, a movie like The Matrix. You know, you want The Matrix to feel like a very immersive experience because it's an immersive movie. It's an yeah. immersive story. It's an immersive narrative. Everything about it is intended to be immersive. And I feel like that's more difficult to get at home, although I still do get that at home. Absolutely. Uh, but theater, definitely the way to go for not just this movie, any movie. Yeah. And I, you know, again, not seeing the other three, I'd have to say this was probably one of the most immersive of the Matrix movies for me, only because I have not seen the others in theater. Like, for me, the experience was so immersive because it was so different. Okay. Setting-wise, if that makes sense. Sure. 
Not saying the movie itself, even though I have a lot of good things to say about this movie. This was such a good movie. You enjoyed it? I really enjoyed it. I left the movie theater and I was like, I have not felt this way about a movie in a long time. Like, yes. (laughs) I don't know where to begin because it's so good. Okay. (laughs) Where do you want to go? I'll I'll start by saying that my initial reaction versus was a little bit different than my second reaction. Mm -hmm. Although... I still feel the same way a little bit. Okay. I'm going to start with saying that I really loved Resurrections. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Didn't mind doing a second rewatch. And frankly, I want to do a third. It it was really good. Having said that, one of my initial reactions in watching it coming out of the theater was I felt like they dumbed it down. Yeah. Okay. And... That might be one of the very few critiques that I have. Right. For me personally, I felt like there wasn't as... I There's a lot to sink your teeth into. And maybe we were just spoiled with how much you could mine out of the previous three movies. Right. And trying to compare that to a singular movie like this where you have to get Neo back right. out the Matrix... And, you know, you had to save Trinity. Right. There's There was so much to do there. And I would have loved to have had more of those opportunities okay. to really marinate. And I, I had there there's plenty to marinate on this, but mm-hmm. I felt like there was more in the trilogy, the, tr- the original trilogy and e- any of the movies. Yeah. Um, but granted, I'm coming out of this with only two watches. Right. I've watched the others. We've watched the others dozens of times in our lives. Right. So these are just my initial reactions. The other critique that I have, and I was talking with a buddy of mine about this. uh, I was talking with GJ about this. Yeah. Was I felt like the music was a little forgettable. Yeah. Even the second watch through, I I was intentionally trying to pay attention, but I have a theory on why that's the case after you talk about that. They hit all the high notes. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, no pun intended, but like the clash of, you know, machines and man. Every time you see that or like clash between the agents and the sentients. Right. Had had the same characteristic tone to it. uh, Or I guess musical cue, because I didn't so much get like a tone or a feeling out of it. Mm -hmm. The music felt a little hollow. Right. That's kind of how I would put it. I did appreciate the callback, like all, all of the callbacks to what Don Davis accomplished. Yeah. For sure. I mean, I feel like this almost goes back to what I was saying before about how much there was to mine. Mm-hmm. And in the original trilogy, it almost feels unfair to compare it to the original trilogy. Right. In a way, like, I feel like I should be watching this on merits of its own, which I would probably have a much more favorable review of. I guess the how much there is to mine in it. Musically, I would still stick with that. It was very forgettable. Right. But if you listen to our episode with Cam and talking about the music, right? right. There were so many levels to it that elicited you know, the, all of these emotions. Mm-hmm. And the only emotions that I got were callbacks to Don Davis's score. Right. Like another example would be the victory motif when Trinity is the one that's flying. Right. At the very end. Yeah. At the very end. Yeah. Like, like stuff like that. I was like, okay, I feel something now. Right. But at the very beginning when 
we are in the actual video game mm-hmm. with bugs and it's trinity but not trinity and you hear the like the similar music even though it's bugs running around the 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 streets that was the same score it may be modified in certain ways but the same score as when we are opened with the matrix yes and i i appreciate that the music has to be different because in the og trilogy it was man versus machines right and there were a lot of hard strikes in the in the score for the for the trilogy. And in uh, Resurrections, it's not man versus machine anymore. Right. So there's not those hard strikes any. I I get that. Right. I understand that, but I still I still expected a little bit more out of it. Yeah. There. Mm-hmm. And I don't worry. I will gush about this movie momentarily. <laughs> right. But I think those are my primary two critiques. Yeah, I have for this. It sounded like you had something to say about the music, though. I did, but I wanted to touch back on what you were saying about mining it. Okay. And one of the things, like, watching it twice, I, first time, I know everyone knows this, I intentionally go in trying to seek after biblical facts or biblical, like, references in the Matrix movies and in other movies, because that's just how my brain works. I intentionally did not do that with Resurrections, because... I didn't know where they were going with this movie. Nobody knew where we were going with this movie, um, except for Lana Wachowski, like, and obviously the cast and crew and all of them. But as an audience member, there was nothing I was expecting except for, okay, cool, we're getting another Matrix movie, even though we weren't supposed to get another Matrix movie. Righteous. Yeah, they're dead. We're dead. This time, I saw a lot more. I experienced a lot more and I saw a lot more of those similarities that I see within the trilogy, like the OG trilogy. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think that this movie did not have as much depth, but I'm also giving it the benefit of the doubt because we have 20 plus years on Matrix and the other movies to mine all of that. We have two days right. of, of mining to do with this one. So... I did want to agree with you, but I am also excited to look back in like even six months and be like, oh, didn't recognize that. Like, let me dig deeper into that aspect of resurrections. Yeah. And I think like something that I haven't decided whether or not I, I agree with yet is this idea that this movie was made begrudgingly on a directive from Warner Brothers. And it sort of being forced on Lana and Lana doing it for the paycheck. And I don't know that I necessarily agree with that, even though like in the movie itself, it gets kind of meta there, right? Where they talk about, hey, corporate overlords, Warner Brothers is doing this with or without us and they're going to terminate our contract if we don't comply. Like they're explicitly saying that in the movie. And I'm like, that seems too easy for that to be the point here. Right. And I I just haven't decided. I mean, listeners, you decide for yourselves there. Right. I don't know that I necessarily agree with that. And yeah, I'll I'll leave it at that. I, to piggyback off that, I don't agree with that. Mm -hmm. I think the first time I watched it, I thought that was a hilarious little note because I know those were rumors that Lana Wachowski had to make this movie or blah, blah, blah. The second time, after knowing what happens, I have a different opinion about those comments in particular. But I'll get to that when we actually like dive into the cool things that we like about it. The music, 
fell flat for me in certain areas as well. And I love music. And you know I love music. However, there it is. First time in forever. (laughs) However, I appreciated it after watching it a second time. The tone at which they played the music when they were in the Matrix. And it might just be something that I was seeking after. So maybe I did hear it differently. When they were actually plugged into the Matrix, I felt like the music had more of that like obvious tone to it. Like I could hear it more when they were in IO or in the ships. It was more focused on silence and more focused on like the sounds of the ships and the sounds that were going on around. Um, after we see Naobi. amazing for the first time again and then they go into the garden we hear more of the butterflies and more of the like water being poured opposed to the music itself so I'm wondering if that was an intentional choice that maybe was made because even Naomi makes a comment about silence and hearing nothing and being quiet no and I I can see that and I do remember that conversation with Nairobi but I still feel like it's not so much about the quantity of music that we got. It's the quality. It was, and I'm not saying the quality was bad either, because I it, am. I just felt like it lacked a lot. I, I I felt like it lacked meaning. Yeah. In a lot of places, and it didn't strike me as much. Yeah. On on this watch, but again, this is only the second watch. <laughs> yeah, and we were gonna do a reaction video uh, episode. But we had to watch it again. Yeah. There's too much. I I wanted to marinate more on it and watch it again. And honestly, we probably could have watched it three more times before. But here we are. We might have more episodes for you. But no, I agree. I think there was one other thing that, in my opinion, kind of fell flat. What was it? Bullet time. No, I actually... Was there too much slow motion? No, I actually really liked how they incorporated a new layer to Bullet Time with Neil Patrick Harris's character and him playing like the rewind and then him being able to move through Bullet Time. I really actually enjoyed that. And I have a whole thing that I want to say about the aspects of returning and the newness within this movie. But there was a part... Honestly, I think it it was Keanu Reeves. I'm going to be honest with you. What? He could have used a haircut. I think that really was just... No! Yes! No! Homeboy needed a haircut. No! That's what I didn't like. I did not really care for the hair. I wish... The Wicklocks? No. The John Wicklocks? I don't like John Wick. How how many of them have you seen? The first one. Okay. I don't like it. Blasphemy. Sorry. I'm quitting the podcast. Whatever. Okay, we'll take another hiatus. Bye, guys. I don't know. It was just that it was very distracting for me, in my opinion. Like, he, I I was really okay with it for the first half of the movie when we're experiencing Thomas Anderson again in this new version of Thomas Anderson. Um, Really liked it. Really thought it was, you know, it was appropriate. But then I was like, okay, you believe in the fact that you are being manipulated and you had been manipulated for years and years and years. This isn't who you are. You're Neo. Would have loved to have like a Neo haircut back or like some matured version of a Neo haircut, not the long locks that look greasy the entire time. I disagree. That's fine. We can disagree. That's the only other thing. Keanu Reeves is perfect. 
Not with long hair. Nope. Okay, whatever. Nope. Fight me. It's okay. I always have an opinion about something that you disagree with. You disagree with me all the time. I know. It's great. This feels like a like Hannibal Lecter's ties complaint. Yes. It's my tail wagon. This His is, hair. This is your tail wagon. You're getting it early this episode, folks. I have to I have to catch up. Oh, Been okay. away for a while. Well, why don't you get us kicked off with some things that we did like? What you, like get us kicked off here. Okay. There's so much I could talk about, but I really loved the length of time it took us to connect the dots with why things were happening. I appreciated the longevity of the conversations and the redevelopment of character building in the first like hour of this movie. It didn't feel like an hour of the movie, but it's pretty much the first hour of this movie. We're redefining Thomas Anderson. We're redefining Tiffany trinity we're redefining morpheus and we're understanding the decision of this redefinition of morpheus we're redefining the matrix itself and we're rediscovering the matrix because where we left off was an agreement that it would be a choice people could choose to leave the matrix or stay in the matrix that was the conversation that the oracle and the architect had and we have these small hints of like maybe people do know what's going on but it's all a video game they're actually talking about this video game that thomas anderson has made called the matrix and i really appreciated the character development in the scene building i thought i was gonna hate it i was like all right we already know who neo is we already know who trinity is we already know who these people are but we needed a redefinition because they were dead they were dead and now they're not i liked that I'm trying to start from the beginning and like things that I liked and kind of move on through it. It was very well paced. Yes. That's a simplistic way of saying what I was trying to say. (laughs) Thanks for summarizing for me. (laughs) I was like sitting here like there's a shorter way to say this, but I'm just going to let her keep going. Well, and it's it's it was cool because they are different people. We're, We're 20 years. Well, 60 years, technically. Down the line, like, and really, society doesn't see these characters as these characters. We learn that they have this, like, program covering who they really are. Only Neo can see who Neo looks like, except for the people who maybe go in and out of the Matrix at this point. And Trinity sees herself as Trinity and didn't catch it until the second watch. That's why Chad, Chad, laughs at her when she's like, Oh, she kind of looks like me. It's because, no, she doesn't. But she does. But she doesn't. That's a really good point that I definitely do want to talk about as a thematic element throughout the movie. It, and it, this is this was common in the trilogy as well, was the this, this idea of what your image is yeah. and what you portray and also bringing in the hyper-real I went on a long, boring diatribe about simulacra and simulation and the yeah. hyper-real and the, the desert of the real, as Morpheus referred to it as. But thinking about like the hyper-real, like more real than real and things like that, and the, the, the self-image side of things, how they can manipulate the digital self-image. Mm-hmm. And I like how they brought that in and presented that as... 
no, this is who you are. Your digital self image is who you are. Yes. And them using that as a method of controlling the environment around them because that's what everybody else sees. Right. It's their digital self image. And I was quite taken. It was a very quick scene. Uh, but it was with like the Alice in Wonderland song and Neo's in the elevator and everybody is heads in their phones. Yes. They are invested in that hyper real as mm-hmm. well. That digital world, the hyper real, more real than what is actually out there in their world. Right. Uh, what they perceive as real. And I thought it was that was that was a very refreshing callback mm-hmm. for me. I was like, oh, okay. They're, they they did bring back in some of that philosophy in here, mm-hmm. um, in the desert of the real and imagery, and like the use of mirrors too. Yes, like that. Also, it wasn't a gratuitous nostalgic callback, right, to the original trilogy. It felt very authentic. Yes, and not forced. Loved that. I, if I can touch on that really quick, I intentionally was looking at sunglasses and mirrors and things like that. And I liked the subtlety that they did with that. And they didn't throw it in our faces because it was such a huge thing. And we did get so many close ups in the glasses, in the mirrors, in the reflections, in the original trilogy. But again, we're 20 years later. We're, we're, and I'm talking like literally we're, 20 plus years later, because the first one came out in 1999, like, we we know these things, and they made it so nice and subtle to, like, say, yes, that's accurate, that's real. They didn't do one of those, okay, everything that you watched before is fake. They did a little hat tilt to it, but not so much where it became the main theme. They had other layers to this that became the main theme that I really liked, and I really appreciate it. Like seeing the codes in the reflection or in the water opposed to the reflection itself. Really loved that. Yes. And the birds too. And the birds. The birds. I thought that was so cool. And like, ugh, so much. Okay. Yes. Anyway. I liked the birds being sort of like this reflection. For me, I saw the birds as like a reflection of, no pun intended, but free will. Because, Literally was thinking the same thing. Yeah. And it was always interesting to me that when Neo was looking at them, he was behind glass. glass. Yep. In his own cage. And you actually get to see it like when they're on the rooftop at the end and when yeah. they finally escape, like where you get to see it in like IRL, like not through glass. Right. Like not, in a, not in your cage. Right. Um, to touch on that scene, I tried to stay in order, but I'm not going to. To touch on that scene in particular, I really loved the parallel that that scene gave us to when Neo's in the mechanical city and he's looking and he takes that deep breath and he's like, oh, it's beautiful. And he looks back, or he talks towards Trinity and says, I wish you could see this. And for the first time, yeah, yeah, Trinity's actually seeing that. And like in her own way, she's seeing the codes differently. She's seeing the world differently. For the first time, I bawled my eyes out. I was like, oh my gosh, she finally gets to see it. (laughs) Holy cow. Transitioning, like just making a natural transition here, but I got to talk about Neo and Trinity's relationship. (gasps) The duo. The duo. 
They sell me on Trinity and Neo's relationship so well. I bought it. I, I keep buying it a thousand percent. Yes. And just the best way I know how to describe it in the way that it's portrayed in this movie is like narrative frisson. Mm-hmm. If you're familiar with frisson, it's for me, it's always been a musical term mm-hmm. where you have a series of notes that induces this anticipation for one singular note that is going to bring a conclusion to it. Right. And then you end up getting goosebumps from that. Like, okay, finally it hit that note. Right. This movie and what they did with the Trinity's relationship was a lot like Frisian for me. Watching that narratively, watching it play out, watching it build into one another until they finally actually reunite. Yes. I thought that, that I was pitch perfect. Absolutely. And I think that carries on from the trilogy into this. Like, I do think that this could be a movie that if you did not see the trilogy, like a young person, if they had never seen the trilogy and they're like, oh, I'm going to go see this new Matrix movie. I don't know what it's about. I think they could get, they could grasp the intentionality behind Neo and Trinity's relationship alone with this movie. Now, we have all this backstory to it. We understand where they've come from. But I really loved the way that they didn't force this relationship. And in fact, like you're saying, it didn't happen until the very end. She finally turns around and is like, don't call me Tiffany or Tiff or whatever she's called. Uh, My name is Trinity. And that is also a nice subtle hint to the original trilogy when he's like, my name is Neo. She says, my name is Trinity. And then they like try to bring that relationship together and you see the years and years and years and the movie upon movies and upon movies of these two trying so hard to get together. And we get to see that in one scene where they're fighting and fighting and fighting. And they finally get to each other and we see that connection. We see that note that you're talking about. It was amazing. And it's not forced. Like, we didn't have to have all of these extravagant scenes. We had subtle scenes. Like Matthew McConaughey running through an airport to catch the girl that he's treated like crap just in time before she catches on the plane saying that he can change. Yeah. Or like <laughs> all the Twilight movies. Are you talking about How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days? <laughs> I love that movie. And he doesn't actually run through the airport. He picks her from like he rides on this there on the bridge. I know. I- it's 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 funny that you drew uh, the parallel immediately drew the parallel to how to lose a guy in ten days because it doesn't it never actually has to be an airport. <laughs> it can be a bridge. It can be anything. Yeah. But the gr- he's just about to lose her. He's like, I've changed. It's every Hallmark movie. Yes. <laughs> anyway, this is not that Hallmark movie. No, it's done well. It's the truest form of romance in my opinion, opposed to like what we see nowadays with romance. It felt like a very authentic romance. Yes. Like you didn't have like a meet cute or anything like that. Like yeah. it, it felt real. Yeah. Which is obviously a huge theme in the Matrix. Yes. Like what is real. Right. And that would have probably ruined the whole movie if it felt fake or if it felt like forced. Yeah. It felt like you could relate to it. And it definitely didn't hurt that, like, as soon as you see Trinity, you're like, go talk to her, man. Yeah. Like, bro. And then you find out about Chad. Chad. Ugh. Chad's the worst. Chad's a bot. (laughs) (laughs) Literally. I loved that. 
can I move on into that little addition really quick? Are we good? <laughs> yeah, I, oh, okay, I didn't see your hand. The mic was in the way. I loved the upgrades this movie got. The no longer having to go in and out through a telephone booth, but going through mirrors. Thank you. Subtle, like, little tip of the hat, but also a huge way of going from reality to fictional or imaginary or whatever. You know, there's so many words that were put into this about Neo and his brain and his mind as far as the Matrix goes. But they actually moved through mirrors to get in and out of the Matrix. Um, they were able to utilize the Keymaster's creations and go through all of these doors and utilize that to jump from location to location. I love that. And then the bots. First off, head diving into cars freaked me out. Oh, the swarm? <laughs> the, yeah, but like... Instead of using agents. That was messed up. So messed up. Because they're programmed to do stuff like that. Like, the analyst literally could snap his fingers and these bots just come out of nowhere, opposed to agents. Like, agents are harder to manufacture. So he's like, why not just create a whole swarm of them in everyday people? And then Bugs even mentions, like, you don't know who's who and who's what. And Neo's like, well, how do I trust you? Because, like, you could one minute, like the agents did in the original trilogy, you could one minute look over and it's somebody and you look back and it's an agent. But this is, you look at them, their eyes could change and now they're a bot. Yeah. I loved that so much because it removed the, and this was a thought that I had, like, it removed the humane part of people, which obviously in the Matrix are not people they are people but they're not people they're they're programs but they're not you know they're all plugged in you know what i mean but it removed because the saying is the eyes are the window to the soul it blacked out you saw the code it removed that completely from the people showing that control is still in the leader's hand or the it's 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 still in one singular hand yeah which was but i did not like the fact that they dived head first I that appreciated fr it freaked me out at first. Yeah, well, I appreciated the fact that it wasn't like gory because they could have taken this so far. Yeah, when they splat the ground, it just looks like code. Code. Yeah. Yeah. But like rated R then, rated R now, Lana Wachowski could have gone so far, but she held on to the core of the Matrix to where it didn't it didn't have to be extravagant. They didn't have to drop F-bombs every minute. There didn't have to be an exuberant amount of blood. It just, it was. Yeah. But the bots were cool. I really liked them. And on the train, oh, so cool. <laughs> that was so cool. What did you think about IO? <sighs> I have mixed emotions. You know what IO stands for? You probably do because... Yeah, look you, at the back of my computer. I don't know... Input output. What's on the back of your computer? Look, look right there. Ugh, it's 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 too far away. Back. I'm going on. Oh, hey, that's the on and off switch. <laughs> that's what that is. It's an I and an O. Yeah. That's literally what it is. Yeah. I never. I always thought it was just like off with the line and on with the circle. <laughs> I hope you keep that. That was funny. <laughs> That's input output. 
I looked it up on the interwebs. Yes, it does stand for input output. I I have mixed emotions because I love Zion so much. And there's a part of me that has an attachment, even though it's not like uh, this version of Zion isn't real. There's this attachment that I have towards the original trilogy's safe haven, Jerusalem, as you would, or Garden of Eden or whatever you want to call it. I, I need to sit in it and kind of observe it and kind of deep dive into that a little bit more because I have thoughts. I appreciated the sentence and the, the line that was said about Zion was stuck in a man versus machine, them versus us, and now it's a, or no, them or us, and now it's a them and us. Yes. I appreciated that aspect because I think that has a lot of depth to it. Yeah, this goes into the binary theme. Which, yeah, I mean, okay. And that includes choice, right? Yes. A or B. Uh, <laughs> I have notes about that too. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm excited. Starting with the name of the game that Neo is also developing at the time of this movie, it's called Binary. Yeah. Which I thought was kind of cool. Oh, yeah. And I did like how they started talking about like, it's not just A or B. Yes. There's that aspect to it and that the there's that illusion of having a choice. Right. Knowing that you are obviously going to choose one or the other. Right. Um, and kind of deviating a little bit from that topic, I want to touch on IO a little bit. We'll go back to the binary thing because I have a bunch on that too. I don't know how I feel about IO. Okay, I cool. Think, We're in the same boat. I think the spirit of IO, like, I feel like the IO of, because I we're seeing IO 60 years in the future. Yes. Or 60 years after Revolution. And I feel like if we had seen it, like, 20, 30 years after Revolutions, that would have been an ideal IO. Yeah. I feel like that would have been the best version of IO. I agree. The IO that we're seeing now... I also see as a microcosm of the Matrix. Oh, see, you're going right up the same alley that I'm going. <laughs> Starting with the way that it looks, right? Yes. They are pulling directly from what the machines have been presenting to them as real. Yes. And they're basing their new food, like take the strawberry, for example, they're basing that off of what they have perceived as strawberries tasting like. They're taking that code and doing some digital whatever with it and saying, here's the strawberry that, you know, you know, but it's still not actually real. Yes. Couple that with the fact that Nairobi is so focused on basically create, in my mind, I feel like Nairobi's original intentions were great, but... Somehow it was unintentionally warped, and maybe this is too harsh, but somehow it was unintentionally warped into creating another Matrix. Yes. And because she's basically creating everything that was in the Matrix, but in the, quote, real. Right. In IO. And instead of that, like the real, and this is my broad topic, and this for me was the point of the movie. Instead of focusing on the real, it's about connections. And this theme of connections is, for me, the 
cornerstone of what this movie is trying to say. It's not about the choices you make. It's not mm-hmm. about what you perceive as real or not. It's about the connections that you make. And that is continually drilled into my head. So in IT and in networking, when a, you establish a connection, that's called a handshake. Oh, cool. And I didn't know that. you see these handshakes. You see so many handshakes in this and just hands touching those handshakes. Yep. And I'm getting goosebumps thinking about this right now. But that is the focus of it. And Bugs even calls Nairobi out saying you're too focused on your garden or whatever. Yeah. Like basically creating a new garden of Eden. (laughs) So the focus is always is on those connections. And that's what matters. Right. It doesn't matter what your digital self image is. It doesn't matter what your right. image is. It doesn't like none of that matters. All that matters are the connections that you make, the relationships, yep. which are an intangible. They are not something that's binary. Yes, that is definitely um, one. Definitely one of the big themes that I also followed along with. Um, there were some sub themes that I I really enjoyed that I think pour into that, but I did personally enjoy the intentionality of the physical touch because you're in a world quote-unquote the matrix that removes that reality of physical touch removes that connection and what's the first thing we do well maybe not nowadays but what's the first thing we normally do when we meet somebody new you shake their hand unless you're a hugger but not right now (laughs) not supposed to i guess i don't know We'll see what 2022 brings us. (laughs) Um, But you normally shake their hands. Like when I meet a new student, my first thing is I shake the parent's hand and I introduce myself. That becomes a connection. And I agree. I think this whole movie establishes the difference between true connection and lack thereof. Yes. Um, Going back to IO. So I agree with you 100%. Um, Going back to IO. The big thing, and I agree on the the stance that she was basically making a new matrix. If you look at Zion, the very beginning of all the trilogies and everything like that, their focus was destroying the matrix, destroying the robots, the machines. Vast difference, polar opposites. With IO, like you're saying, they're creating this similar experience. But one of the things that the um, analyst had mentioned many, many times was fear and how fear is a controlling factor. And in fact, he said something along the lines of hope and despair are similar codes, like they're very similar codes. And for me, Nairobi's, I can never say her name. It's just how it is. She created IO. I would assume the very beginning of this, it was really well established it that would be such a cool version to see but this version that we see right now is solely based on fear she doesn't want to do anything that's going to compromise anybody she this is one of the strongest warriors and best pilots of the original trilogy of zion and here she is literally saying no we're not going out because that's going to compromise all of these people all of this work that we've done. She came from nothing. She came from a world that offered her nothing. And yes, she's she's been the general of all of this growing up, but 
if you're not willing to take the risk to balance, you know, have that balance, have that connection, you're living in fear. And that was a huge thing that I thought I saw was why is fear so controlling and why do we allow that to control us and how do we break free from fear? Yeah, there's another really good quote that that was said. It's that there's um so th- thinking about Nia's fear and and desire or it was hope and fear, right? Hope and desire was similar. Fear and despair, or no, fear and desire were how the analysts controlled right. the Matrix people. Right. So fear and desire. Thinking about that, like, the only reason that Neo would never approach Trinity is that he doesn't want to risk losing her. And, like, that. That's. I feel like that's something that's not uncommon yeah. among people. Like, that's why people don't are afraid to get back into a relationship after a hard breakup. Yep. They're already fearing the loss of the next. Yep. And losing more of what they have. Yeah. Um, They're it's, afraid of it's, losing it's, that connection. Yes. And the analyst was talking about Trinity and Neo and said something to the effect of you both are afraid of losing what you have mm-hmm. and wanting or de- having that desire for what you don't. And right. the desire for what they don't is each other. Yeah. Trinity doesn't want to lose her family. Right. Right. Yeah. Neo doesn't want to lose Trinity. <laughs> right. That's why he set an alarm. Or his mind. Right. Which is, which he's being convinced is what he's losing, yeah. is his mind. Which I loved that aspect of it too, is this fear of, in in the analyst who at the at that point was the doctor, mm-hmm. he was like, "Am I going crazy?" Neo said, "Am I going crazy?" He was like, "We don't use that word," but it's so funny because we then we then see the prescription getting filled and we see the blue pills and they're feeding this fear and they're they're creating these situations that make him believe that he is actually losing his mind. Now, then things go crazy and you know they use hiccups i'll call it a hiccup in their plan not the not io's plan or bugs's plan or morpheus's plan but in the analyst's plan they use those to literally make him believe that he's going crazy that this is all in his head which creates more fear i loved that like the lie of fear being the higher controlling quote-unquote emotion like yeah. people people don't do things because they're afraid. Like that controls somebody. I don't go up on top of buildings because I'm afraid of heights. That controls me from going on ladders. I did go on many ladders this year, so I'm proud of myself. But yeah, I I love that. I loved the drastic difference between Zion and Io. Zion was working so hard to be different. Io out of fear was working so hard to be similar. Neither one were good, like fully good. Both had flaws. Both had problems. Both were imperfect, seeking after perfection. And I loved the fact that it took like faith in the unknown and releasing that fear to then get to a status of good and healthy. Okay. That makes sense. I don't know if it does, but it makes sense to me. Okay. That was a theme that I really loved was seeing those comparisons and then being like, ah, everything is flawed. <laughs> everything sucks. Yeah. 
Well, and if you look at it from a standpoint of where we're at, like where we're at in our, our world right now, there's no good guy and bad guy. And in this particular thing, there really isn't a good guy or bad guy. Even Agent Smith was not a bad guy fully. He helped Neo. Like going back to the binary comment, like there's gray areas. There's there's no black or white. It's not Thomas versus Smith. It's not zero or one. There's stuff in between. Yeah, and that's, that's a, what Smith said. <laughs> that's a, that's another thing. If it was something that was truly binary, then all the analysts would have needed to maintain all semblance of control was Trinity and Neo. Mm-hmm. What he didn't account for was another aspect of the equation, and that was Smith. Yep. Smith has always been the counterpoint to Neo, the uh, two sides of the same equation. So really, there's that trinity yep. of characters that would be necessary to have that full control. But now Smith is fully free. Yeah, again. Trinity and Neo are fully free. <laughs> again. Uh, I, I'm using the term free uh, very loosely here. <laughs> But, you know, the oversight of not considering a third option. Right. A a third piece of the puzzle and not thinking about something that was binary, which is which is interesting because the the analyst, contrary to the architect, who was all facts, figures, formulas, his successor, is so focused on relationships. And yet he didn't consider the impact of the relationship between Smith and Neo. Right. He only he, considered the love. Exactly. Which is what the architect did not consider. Yes. With the, what was it, seventh anomaly? That yeah. was the seventh Neo. Um, he didn't take into account Neo and Trinity and the love that they shared and how powerful that was. The analyst saw how powerful that was, utilized it to control his next matrix. But like you're saying, he forgot about Smith. Which I loved the fact that I don't, and maybe he didn't forget about him. Maybe he programmed him in that particular way, which I think, you know, he makes in a slight comment about. But Smith says, you could have been anyone. I can be everyone. Like, Smith's always going to be there. And so is Neo. Like, Neo could have been anybody. There, There's always that, there's that, always that connection. And I love the fact that the analyst, played by Neil Patrick Harris, who was amazing didn't take that into account like again flaws people forget people have flaws everything is flawed nothing is perfect that was another thing and you also probably subconsciously just called it out but in this movie you don't see machines as things no you see them as cute little people you see them as people i loved it you see Neil Patrick Harris as a person, not a program. You see Sati as a person, not a program. You see Smith as a person, not a program. You see all these people. You see yeah. people. Yeah. And it's it's just very interesting to see how quickly we are to personify those things. Yeah. I, I and to continue off of that, it's it's also really cool to see how quickly we choose a new enemy. Yeah, and I still don't know. Who or what I would define as the villain in this? I think they, I think I think surface level, the analyst is the villain. Okay. I think surface level, that's what was presented to us. Okay. That's all I can confidently say right now. Yeah, I think 
I agree with that in the sense that it's surface level, but I I definitely think the quote unquote villain was the <sighs> it was the battle between humanity and human yet again. Like I th- I think there was this this internal villain that we always have to have something that we're fighting against or we're feel fearful of and that we're trying to find good within. I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know. Cause I feel like the analyst had good intentions at first. I believe that he intended on something grand and good. It just harmed two individuals. And that's the thing. He didn't harm them. He did initially, initially, he didn't harm them. He brought them back to life. And he brought them together, just not together together. Yeah, but on, like, different side of the coin, he basically put them in this perpetual state of torture. Right. But not dead. <laughs> but not dead. And then we're also looking at society having this, like, kind of high amount of peace, but they lost their choice. Like, they don't have a choice anymore because... You know, they're not fighting against somebody. Well, they kind of were fighting against people, like, choosing that decision and, like, switching over. But that's beside the point. Point is, I don't know. I think the villain was choice. Like, think a minimal choice for the oneself. Like, giving yourself a minimum amount of choices. Even Morpheus was like, you know, Bugs was like, red or, you know, you got to take the red pill or the blue pill. And he's like, that's, uh, that's not really a choice. Like, that's also a villain. I don't know. I think it goes really deep. But surface level, yeah, analysts maybe. <laughs> Smith was not the bad guy. Oracle was the bad guy. What? <laughs> she wasn't even in it. <laughs> She's dead. S- Smith was the anti-hero. Smith was amazing. I I like Jonathan Groff. I, I miss, have another tail wagon. I miss, I, I miss Hugo Weaving so much. Yeah. I would have loved to see Hugo Weaving return. But then he wouldn't have had the awesome line of I could be anyone. I think it makes sense that Hugo Weaving didn't return from a narrative perspective. Yeah. Because Smith can literally be anyone yeah. or anything. I just miss him. Miss his iconic performance. And Jonathan Croft did fine with it. Oh, yeah. He didn't have, there wasn't enough spit takes. I was kind of disappointed. <laughs> Humans are a disease. <laughs> <laughs> it's the smell. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was- Making a joke about Jonathan Groff as a theater person. He's sp- he's a spitter. Oh. He was King George in Hamilton. Oh, yeah. He that was spat. The, that was the thing I fell asleep to. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. Go on. He's a spitter. No, I really, I really liked the fact that Jonathan Groff, I thought his transition, his, his awakening almost from this like boss who was kind of like passive aggressive to Agent Smith was phenomenal. That made me like, I was scared. And you know what's interesting? And this goes back to, you know, how interconnected Neo and Smith are. I just got goosebumps because I'm, I, I was thinking about this earlier too. But that scene, tonally identical to the scene where Smith is interrogating Morpheus in the first movie. Yep. And that's when Neo kind of has his awakening. Yep. When he figure he finds out that he can he can do stuff. He can be yeah. a hero. He can be a savior. And it's interesting that tonally this matches that, but now it's Smith doing it. Yes. And this is Smith's awakening and 
how he can bend the rules and he remembers who he is. Um, and he promptly goes to try to kill Neo. Right. I loved how that was presented and I yes. felt like that was pitch perfect. Absolutely. Um, there were other moments like that that had parallel things in the trilogy that I really appreciated. Um, the, and not just from the cutscenes that we got or the flashbacks into the video game, which was the original trilogy. Um, but like when Trinity becomes Trinity again, like she recognizes she has her awakening in this movie. What's the first move she does? That back bend kick over her head into one of the SWAT team members' faces, which is one of the first things that we see Trinity do in the first movie, which I loved, um, but they didn't oversell that. There was one thing I thought they oversold um, that was like, yeah, we get it. He can stop bullets. Like, great, wonderful. Give me some more of this force push with bombs. Like, that's cool. But that's a different story. We got that same feeling when the helicopter is shooting at them on top of the uh, building and the bullets are falling down. That same exact scene has that same exact feeling during the interrogation scene when they're shooting into that area where, when, um, yeah, when Neo's trying to save Morpheus. Yeah. Loved that. I loved the, those moments because it brought me back to why I love these movies so much as a nerd. <laughs> In, in the, like, surface-level context area. I liked that. Do you have anything else? I'm good. I have one more. I appreciated some of the character returns. Santi, that made me so happy. Seeing Santi again was really nice. I was so happy. I was so sad yesterday when, when you had to go to the bathroom. And then oh she showed up, and, and I was like, where is he at? That was an, that was another thing. My, my first theater experience with resurrections was not positive because i thought it would be a great idea to get a drink and i drank like half of it before the movie even started and it just like went right through me and i had to go to the bathroom twice during resurrections which was infuriating i knew better it was a <laughs> rookie move yeah well in the first one you you left only during the explanation of the bots which was a very very easy thing to catch up on the second time you left, two seconds later, like just enough time for you to walk out the doors, Sati's back. And I'm like, he's God. And so you sit back down and it's like, hey, this happened. And you literally went, oh, <laughs> I was so sad for you. I was you. so mad. Um, but there was something that you had made a reaction to. And so I intentionally looked it up. The company that... Thomas Anderson works for. Dos Machina. You know what that means? Yeah. I didn't. <laughs> and it's like that, that, that I'm just going to read the definition because I didn't know. And then I read it and I was like, oh, well, isn't that funny? <laughs> now I know why you had a reaction. Um, it's Latin and it means God out of the machine. And that was really cool. It's a plot device whereby a seemingly unsolvable problem in a story is suddenly and abruptly resolved by an unexpected and unlikely occurrence. I was like, hmm, that's clever. <laughs> Moving on. Um, Bugs' ship means... Uh, the, the ship itself is... What, what was the name of the ship again? <laughs> I don't know how to what? say uh -huh. that word. 
don't know how to say that word. Nemesine. Yeah, that one. Nemesine. It is the goddess of memory. And they talk a lot about memories. Especially with bugs. Like, bugs is a really big component in unlocking memories. She's constantly referring back to memories of, like, her meeting Neo for the first time and bringing Neo back into that that world, just kind of trying to, you know, unlock those memories. But yeah, yeah, that was crazy. That one's not important. Um, again, use of colors. Love the fact that they use a lot of colors. We see a lot of similar colors, but you know what color we see the most of? Blue. Blue. Which we don't see a whole lot where, like, people wearing blue. Blue has a particular effect. Now, in the theater, like, it also has these kinds of effects, but there's a little thing that I'm reading here. Um, it has a calming, relaxing, creating order, and cognitive enhancer. It also is the impression of authority. That's like the definition of like what blue means. And who wore the most blue? Bugs. And who stood up to the general? Bugs. Who commanded a lot of authority? Bugs. Bugs was my favorite character in this movie. (laughs) Her team also wore a lot of blue. And there was a lot of like hints towards blue. And she, she definitely had this really cool way about respect and and demanding the space but also she had this like childlike faith about her that created a peaceful calming atmosphere in my opinion with her crew and with her team and with neo and with trinity and also the part where they connected trinity and bugs together it's like oh favorite character from the og trilogy favorite character from this trilogy that was so cool or not trilogy you think there's gonna be more no absolutely not there better not be more you don't think there's going to be more and you wouldn't want there to be? I don't want there to be more. Okay. I think if they did more, it would mess this up. Okay. In my opinion. What about you? I haven't decided, but I've, I, I'll i put it this way. I wouldn't be sad if they didn't make any more. No. I don't. Yeah. Oh, I forgot to talk about one more thing. The Warner Brothers comment. We're still recording. You're allowed to. I know. Um, <laughs> you're allowed to keep talking. Mike's still on, babe. So I... Don't think that that was a poke at Warner Brothers. More so, I thought it was a gentle yet in-your-face foreshadowing to the theme of choice. And in that particular Matrix, choice had been taken away for most everyone. Um, Leaving the Matrix was no longer an option, which was a deal, again, a deal that Neo had made with the... um, Baby face, scary voice. That one. Yeah. That was a deal. Like, they get to make the choice architect and Oracle. Again, going all through that, go listen to that. That was something that was obtained, and it was no longer something that was obtained, and they were no longer... It was no longer apparent that people could make that decision and make that choice for themselves. And Jonathan Groff's character, being Agent Smith, making the comment of, like, Warner Brothers is going to terminate our contract if we don't do it just gave me that sense of, oh, their choice is gone. And then Neo later talks about how all his work seemed for nothing. And Bugs, again, great character. Um, Bugs is like, no, like, what you did was great. What you did paved away for this, but there still was work to do, if that makes sense. So that's why I think that comment was there. I don't think it was Lana Wachowski saying, <laughs> 
Maybe it was. I don't know. <laughs> okay. I haven't decided how it felt about that. There might be another episode. There probably on, will be on, an on, on further musings. Oh, yeah. We have to watch this 600 more times, and then we have to do a complete theological breakdown. Send help. <laughs> you know you love it. I do. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I don't think they should make another one. I think it would be a bad idea. I'm bouncing back to that comment. Okay. I said that after we first saw it yesterday. You know what would be a uh, what I think would be a good idea for a follow up. What? If you head on over to red5network.com oh and check out our brothers and sisters of podcasts over there, we love our Red Five family. So make sure you go over there and check them out. I thought you were going to say something profound like, oh, we should get another animatrix that is in between everything. I was going to say, yeah, that was a great idea. That'd be a great idea. No. Yeah. Okay. Segway. Segway. Have You've not missed mis- it. Nope. You've missed it. Nope. Yeah, I missed it. <laughs> I missed it. I've missed this. I've missed this too. It's fun. We will have to do this again soon. <laughs> we have a lot of really fun movies we want to talk about. We do. We do. We have a laundry list of things. We've been saving. Yes. We have not been recording, but we have been saving. We have been saving. Uh, But look forward to that, folks. This has been another episode of Pizza and Parsex. I'm Dave. I'm back. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Liv. And you can check out our show on pizzaparsex.com or the aforementioned red5network.com. If you want to do us a solid, head on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rate and review. We, I feel like we really deserve it over the last five months with all the great content we put out. So so much good content. <laughs> <laughs> I've been very active on Twitter, people. But maybe if you enjoyed this episode in our return, leave us a five-star. We'd greatly appreciate it. And make sure that you're hitting us up on our socials. We're mostly on Twitter at Pizza and Parsecs. I'm really surprised you haven't used the resurrection term more throughout this episode about our resurrection. It was a little too on the nose. I mm. talked earlier about how everything was really dumb, could have been really dumbed down. I didn't want to bring that into the episode. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But thank you guys so much for joining us. Mischief managed. I didn't oh. holla back. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Hold I on. was sitting here like, wow, I'm so impressed. It's been months since we've done this, and you forgot to let me holla. Holla. Hope we're good. Hold on. <laughs> and make sure you're hitting us up on those socials, mostly on Twitter, at Pizza and Parsex. Give us all the hollers. We always holla back. Holla. And as always, folks, thank you so much for joining us. Mischief managed. May the force be with you, and God bless. I can't believe you forgot to let me holla. I didn't. You just did it. Holla. Holla, holla, holla.